Sherry has gone, can you ask her if I can hold the baby up here? I can juggle. I'm reading from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, the word Petros, and on this rock, the word Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Virtually everything has a foundation. Your life, our country, This physical church we're sitting in has a foundation. Foundations are essential. Jesus just defined the foundation of the church. He identifies two issues here before drawing them together. His own identity and the identity and the foundation of the church. Hey guys, what you think? What are people saying about me? Don't you think he already knew that? This was a pop quiz for the disciples. Are you guys culturally sensitive, aware of your surroundings? There's a lot of itinerant preachers around, but what are people saying about me? Well, they said, summarizing all the crowd mentality, some say you're John the Baptist's ghost, and some say Elijah or Jeremiah or another prophet, but Jesus narrowed in, what about you? What do you say? He did not ask him, what do you think? What do you believe? What do you say? What do you declare? Who do you declare that I am? And Peter, always the chronic spokesman, declares, You are the Christ, Messiah, God's anointed one. You are the Son of the living God. Right on, Simon. Rock on, Peter. You did not, by your own clever creativity or ingenuity, figure that out. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. Your name is Simon, son of John. And now you are Peter, meaning rock or pebble, and on this rock I will build my church. Now as Protestants, we don't like Roman Catholicism's reference to Peter as the first pope, so we identify this rock on which which God would build his church. We identify that as, as Peter's bold and powerful confession, not Peter the Pope. But there's a problem. We don't have any textual evidence to do so. Jesus will build his church on Peter, but how so? Well, Jesus here and in the book of Acts explains three ways Jesus will build his church on Peter. First, he will build on Peter's confession, his acknowledgement of Jesus as the Messiah, who is the sole foundation of the church. Secondly, he will build his his church on Peter's spirit-filled teaching. One of the first apostles to start teaching and preaching in the book of Acts was Peter. 
taught about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, the work of Jesus. And third, he will build on Peter's missionary reach into the world of the Gentiles. Paul later declared, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus does not suggest that Peter replaces Jesus as the foundation of the church, but Peter will play a foundational role in establishing the church in a particular way. Now I want you to note what Jesus said and what he did not say about the church. First, regarding ownership. Jesus boldly affirmed that this is my church, his church, not ours. Second, regarding workmanship or buildership. Jesus declared that he would build his church. And third, regarding the preservation, the survivability of the church, Jesus proclaimed that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. I want to ask you, was Jesus talking about Grace Bible Church when he said these things? I want you to think carefully about your answer. The answer is both yes and yes and. Obviously, Jesus spoke about the, the worldwide movement. We call that the church. The worldwide movement uh, of his followers, the gathered ones. Here the word is ecclesia or ecclesia, the church. But wrapped into that broader definition of the church are churches, including Grace Bible Church. We're included in that. And, and Jesus was not speaking of either tiny or mega churches. In fact, his only reference to size affirmed that his church would grow from the size of a tiny seed, that is, 12 scruffy disciples, to a massive worldwide following of believers devoted to Jesus that we see today. So, Grace Bible Church, let's lay aside our self-pity and our whimpering about how small and insignificant we are. No place for that. We are a significant part of a great and significant movement of God. Now, just to uh, explain what's going on here, I am the interim pastor of this church. If you're visiting with us, or in case you've been here all these weeks and haven't figured it out, I'm interim pastor of this church. I'm not going to be here forever. Well, none of us will be. We are looking for a pastor. We are walking through a process. And this morning I'm giving what I'm calling the state of the church address. I have not given this to anyone else. Uh, so it will not be destroyed behind me. But having talked about the foundation of the church, I want to address three strengths of Grace Bible Church. And they are these. God-exalting worship, faithful, life-changing Bible teaching, and encouraging relationships. Now, before I talk about these strengths, I want to affirm our transition team. They have worked hard, and I do not want to steal their thunder I do, or, or, or second-guess their careful and prayerful recommendations that they will bring to us as our steps forward. I am humbled by their diligence and ability, and I'm honored to serve alongside of them. So my conclusions this morning are drawn primarily from our online chat survey 
that you took, that you said about you, and then from my own limited perceptions. First of all, God-exalting worship. You have identified the number one strength of Grace Bible Church as God-exalting worship. Worship is the activity of Jesus' followers turned upward to exalt, to lift up, and to praise the Creator God, the God of Scripture. Contrary to popular but misguided thinking, worship is not merely or only singing. I'm not speaking down to Doug. He agrees with me 100%. Worship is not merely singing. I once corrected a worship leader at a men's retreat after he said, now we're going to do a little worship. Can you imagine? Sing, pray, preach, fellowship, give, even read the announcements. If done with right, with hearts right before God, it is all worship. There is no little worship. Grace Bible Church, you worship well. But then that's my opinion because I obviously cannot see your hearts, only your faces. They're beautiful. You may worry about your taxes while you move your lips to great is thy faithfulness. You may dream of that new little red sports car you want to buy while singing I Surrender All. I can't see your heart. I can't see what's going on. And I cannot see your personal worship each day, but worship, biblically speaking, is our heart priority 24-7. The key measure of our worship is this. and. Dick, you stole that from me this morning. The key measure of our worship is this, that when we leave, we may say, I have met God, or God has met me. We don't say, great singing, Doug. Oh, I hope you will say that, great singing, Doug. We don't measure it by great sermon. We measure it by, have I met God this morning? Worship is not... Merely a subjective, feel-good-all-over-it experience. Genuine worship acknowledges and responds to the Father, the Creator God. Well, second is life-changing Bible teaching. The chat survey doesn't even measure that, other than in our obedience, the worship and relationships and so forth. But you affirmed, uh, in your comments, you affirmed one reason you attend Grace Bible Church is because of your desire for clear, life-changing Bible teaching. And I want to tell you that that life-changing Bible teaching includes these three aspects, proclamation, preservation, and promotion. And I believe I borrowed these. First of all, proclamation, preaching, and teaching the Word of God. All of it, not just our little hobby horses. And secondly, preservation, which is upholding and protecting doctrines, the, the truth of God's Word. Um, on our transition team, we had a question about that, and we, and, and we went back to the fact that the elders said that when we welcome people into our fellowship, we want, we want to make sure they affirm our doctrines. Um, that is part of the preservation of truth. But thirdly is promotion, which is practicing promoting and practicing God's Word every day. We cannot stop with proclamation, important as that is. We cannot merely preserve doctrines and truth. But doctrines and truth and principles 
for living are to be obeyed, fleshed out visibly, where watching people can see a difference in us. The third area that you highlighted was that loving and caring relationships. Now, they came in second highest on our chat survey. Grace Bible Church is a friendly, welcoming place. But friendliness is not a natural talent. I pastored a church where our guests often informed us, frankly, that we were not very friendly. Kind of hard to take. Now, I know that, and I'm not referring to you folks today, okay? Please. I know that sometimes visitors come in late and they leave early and we don't get a chance to meet with them. It's just not fair that they call us unfriendly because they haven't given us a chance. Well, but we listened to those folks and we took it to heart and we worked on ways to become friendly and welcoming. We put our gold, our good old friends aside for a few moments so we could pay attention to those guests who may be seeking, maybe possibly hurting. And we became known after several years and much effort as one of the friendliest churches in the city. Now, there's a plethora of one another's in the Bible. Essentially defining godly relationships, fellowship that was, was intended in the church. Jesus jump-started these one another's with the word love. It's about a dozen times in the New Testament, love one another. All of the other one another's, I believe, followed and come pouring out of love one another. Um, let me share a few with you. Let's see if you can see them from the back. Here's some of the one another's. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Stop judging one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Uh, okay, you got me. That one often is greet one another with a holy kiss. And it's mentioned four times in the New Testament. I'm just saying. Wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Serve one another. Do not provoke or envy each other. There is one provoke each other. It's provoke each other toward good works. Carry each other's burdens. Bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Submit to one another. Do not lie to each other. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Listed at least three or four times. Build up one another. Spur on one another. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against each other. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. It's quite a list. That's quite a goal. Those are quite the commands. It is, I believe, the consummate test of relationships of a small group of believers who worship and pray and laugh and weep together. You say, okay, when's the hammer going to drop? You've mentioned the three positives. Well, the three areas most in need of improvement. We don't say negatives. Most in need of improvement, which you identified, are these three. Outreach. Networking and learning and growing in community. Let's look at them. Outreach. 
from our survey, in our own words, the trait most in need of improvement here at Grace Bible Church is outreach. Now our transition team's affinity task force put some numbers together, and Shawnee County is home to nearly 178,000 people. 178,000. Church adherents of all denominations number upwards of 84,000, of whom only a, a portion attend annually, uh, regularly, annually. Regularly. That means there's approximately 100,000 people who have more exciting things to do on a Sunday morning. And maybe a few of them need to know God. Evangelism. It's a great biblical concept. It's a most difficult task. And most of us shy away because we don't do evangelism. Frankly, can I be frank? Frankly, most of us stink at it. At least in the more traditional ways. We need to creatively rethink intentional outreach. Let me suggest that one effective way to help people discover Jesus is simple friendship, relationship. Uh, some people might respond to an invitation to worship with you some Sunday. They may come and they may like the pastor, sort of, but they hardly ever come because of the pastor. They come because of you, because somebody noticed them, somebody cared for them, somebody loved them. That's why they come. Rosie and I have been with you now just over six months, and we've discovered that many of you came because somebody invited you. And even while we're been here, we've been here, three, three fairly new couples, you saw most of them this morning, they joined our fellowship this morning, and somebody invited them. Our strength is relationships, dear family, relationships. Gary McIntosh, in his book, One Size Doesn't Fit All, speaking about churches, suggests that the greatest potential for small churches to bring in new people is the attractional model, relationships. That's the greatest strength small churches have. How about that? We have the potential to address our greatest weakness, outreach, by using one of our greatest strengths. Relationships. Small churches grow for the most part through relationships. And I just say that one greatly untapped arena is the flood of international students. God is bringing the nations to us, or did you notice? Did you know that most international students return home without ever seeing the inside of an American home? And many leave without ever having met an American friend. And these international students return to become leaders in their nations. Leaders. And did you know that most international, international students coming to America equate, equate Americans with Christians? You do the logic. I have to tell you that some churches don't want internationals because they don't stay very long and they don't put much money in the offering. Shame on us. 
A second uh, area most need improvement is networking. It's the failure to network significantly with other churches and ministries. Again, I'm going to let the transition team shed more light on this. So I'm not going to address it much at all this morning other than to say we're not alone in kingdom work. We must develop a broader kingdom mentality beyond our little family mentality because the needs of our community and our nation and our state, our world, are too great to go it alone. The third area most in need of improvement is learning and growing in community. Now, that can mean a lot of things and wear a lot of faces, but let me explain. Follow the logic, or lack thereof. If one of our greatest strengths is relationships, why is it so difficult to learn and grow in community? Let me try that again. If one of our greatest strengths is relationships, you said so, why is it so difficult to learn and grow in community, you ask? Apparently, some who sit beside you are crying out to learn about their walk with God and to grow in that walk alongside other believers. It's not enough to sit beside each other, shake hands, go home, repeat after seven days. I'm not sure how I under, I, I'm not sure I understand how we define relationships. We, perhaps we feel good about our good feeling that we feel by being together. I think I said that right. Perhaps we feel good about our good feeling that we feel by being together. Remember that old saying following a party, a good time was had by all. I hate that stupid saying. How does anybody know how everybody felt? Unless they interviewed every last attender in order to say such a meaningless bunch of drivel. How about those that went home discouraged? Did you ask them? How about those who felt left out? What about those whose pain was too deep to divulge? What about the lonely? What about those grieving or depressed? Did they have a good time? I doubt it. Now, I know that people will not normally divulge their pain publicly on a Sunday morning. That's not necessarily a failure because God addresses pain in worship. Through song, through His Word, through prayer, through quiet reflection, there's a place for that, and that is healing. But if the one another's are so vital to the Christian community, where do they take place? Where can people pray for and with each other? Where can they encourage each other, forgive each other? Where can they accept each other and show concern for each other and love each other? Well, shoot, let's try this one. Where can they wash each other's feet as a visible expression of being humble before one another? My answer is in small group. Now, again, I do not want to run ahead of the transition team, but I fully expect them to address this issue because it has come up. Rosie and I have been a part of small groups for 45 years. I have preached and I have established and I have encouraged small groups. I taught a class on church small groups at a graduate level in a Christian university. It makes me an expert. 
we finally remember. This is going to be a hard paragraph. We finally remember the deep Christian friendships that we developed in those groups. Dear friends with whom, yeah, we studied the Bible and with whom we prayed and with whom we laughed till our sides ached and with whom we sobbed and cried. Young couples in our group came to us starry-eyed wanting to get married. And later those couples came to us first to tell us they were pregnant first because they had no parental support. On two occasions, they came to tell us they were divorcing or their mate walked out on them. We shared life intentionally and intensely. Now, numerical growth is not our first goal. Spiritual depth and maturity has first place. But someone once wrote, for a church to grow bigger, it must grow smaller. What? For a church to grow bigger, it must grow smaller. The catalyst for growing bigger was an increase in small groups that met intentionally to meet the needs of people hungry for growth, hungry for prayer, hungry for God's word, hungry to serve together. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What's our command from Jesus' great commission? Many of you be tempted to say, go. No, that's a participle. Some of you will say, baptize. No, it's another participle. How about teach? No, it's another participle. These three define the method to follow that one command, which is here, the word disciple. As a verb, it's a command. As we go about life, we are, dis we are to disciple followers of Jesus by baptizing and teaching them. Disciple is the main reason we're here. In other words, all I've done this morning is run around and, and around the central thing to which we are called, disciple. Discipleship involves worship and involves attention to God's word. It's building relationships, reaching out, reaching out further, learning and growing and becoming vulnerable in community, usually and more effectively through small groups. I want to rehearse a little bit. Worship, that's our strength. Unless we do worship here, kind of hit and miss, attending when it's just convenient, not a burden. I've often wondered what that looks like to a newcomer, let alone a regular attender. Now, I totally understand the legitimacy of family obligations and occasional work emergency. One of our elders is not here this morning because there are fires all over Kansas, and he is the state fire marshal. Pray for him, Doug. Understand this issues of sickness, but but worshiping together is is still a priority. The writer of Hebrews says, "Let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, 
especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. Jesus is coming soon. In light of that, what do you do? Fear? What's our nation coming to? What's our world coming to? What's going to happen? Freak out? The writer of Hebrews says, the more you see the day of Christ coming, encourage one another. That's our role. A young man once told his mother at the breakfast table, I'm not going to church today. Of course you are, said the mother. No, I'm not, said the son. I'll give you three reasons why I'm not going. Number one, they don't like me over there. You're going to church. Number two, I don't like them over there. You're going to church. Number three, I'm too tired this morning. I'll give you three reasons why you're going, said mom. Number one, I'm your mother. Number two, I said so. Number three, you're the pastor. In other words, you know, sometimes I'm tired too. And I have to drive further than you. Family friendly. That's a strength. Unless we're family friendly only to our closest friends and only superficially friendly on Sunday. Do our close friendships exclude building relationships with others? If you have genuine friends here, and you do, I, I assure you they will wait for you as you greet and, and listen to a guest. Small groups, we've defined them as anyone that meets together for whatever purpose or activity. But does their meeting advance the purpose of GBC, the purposes of the gospel, the purpose of Jesus' great commission? Are our groups too close or too close to take in a stranger who needs some of those one another's? You say, well, how can the gospel be a purpose of a small group? The gospel is that which brings us to Christ, and the gospel is that which encourages us in our walk with God day after day. We cannot avoid the gospel in our small groups, even if they are made up of believers. It's the gospel. Well, I've mentioned several areas here. Can you believe I haven't even mentioned giving? Well, except the last seven weeks. We don't give just to support a cause or to meet need. We give because we love Jesus. That's number one. Because Jesus' followers give. For God so loved the world that He gave. We imitate our Father. Every one of us must, and I'm speaking to our members here, guests, every one of us must give to support Grace Bible Church, not just a few. We won't all give the same amount. That's not the point. The point is the joy of giving. The point is proportion giving. The point is generous and cheerful giving. So let's get serious and cheerful with our giving. I've heard stories. Some interim pastors walk into horrible church fights. Scrappy, selfish discontents. That doesn't define grace. Not at all. Okay, so you've had a few people walk away over the years for various reasons, but none were doctrinal errors or petty infighting. 
So we're in a transition time again. And some of you are discouraged. But you're selling yourselves short. The church has strengths that other churches would die for. And frankly are dying for. We teach God's word. We exalt Christ. We relish relationships. We have the beginnings of effective small groups. We are surrounded, surrounded by lost people. But we need a shot in the arm to reach them relationally. But we're holding back. We want something to happen. We want someone to do something. But we want someone else to do it. We hope our interim pastor can jumpstart us or revive us or something. To be honest, I cringe at that word revival. Don't like it. You see, revive means to live again from the word re, meaning repeat, and vivere, life. Non-believers cannot be revived because they have no life to begin with. They need to be vived from the, from the very start. Revival is for believers who need to be revived, stirred up again. A revival once swept across southern Canada, especially southern Saskatchewan. We arrived there just a few months or a year later for our first pastorate. We found people saying, oh, we want another revival. What they wanted was another fad, another epidemic to sweep through. We don't want individual revivals. We don't want to be the first or the only. Others might not follow. I know some of you are discouraged. I know some of you are waiting to see what the next pastor will look like. Blue eyes, brown eyes, suit and tie, blue jeans. I understand all that. Some might be looking for another church just in case. What will you look for? And will you get involved there? I just, I just read this last Thursday that community is not something you look for. It's something you make. Something you develop and enter into. But we have, we, the church at large, we have become Burger King churches. We like to have it our way. I want some rip-roaring music. I want light teaching. And I don't want too much of that relational stuff. No, a thousand times no. Many churches are dying, lacking what Grace Bible Church has. I, I read a statistic yesterday. I, I, I want it to be reviewed and verified, but 1,700 churches closed every week. Even a month. It wasn't annually. They're wanting what we've got. Lift up your heads. Lift up your hands in worship and in work. The work of relationships, the work of outreach, the work of loving saints and pre-saints alike. Luke told us about the early church's priorities. We know, the, we know the verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. That's exactly what I told you were Grace Bible Church's strengths. Bible teaching, fellowship, relationship, breaking of bread and worship, prayer. Well, prayer isn't our strength yet, but sure needs to become one. Well, that's my state of the church message. 
but I'm not done yet. Oh, they changed it. I had an hour to go. <laughs> I'm not done with the state of the church message yet. I haven't talked about all the billions of your dollars I want for new programs. I'm not done yet because I want to dress the state of the church for nine more weeks. Beginning next week, we're going to look together at seven churches in various stages of living and growing and stagnating and dying. They're found in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Almost all these churches have something for which to be commended. Almost all have some fault. All of them are given a challenge. And this is the best. All of them get a look at Jesus. That's what I need. So we need a, a fresh look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the founder and foundation of the church, the foundation of churches, the foundation of Grace Bible Church. Father, I am so grateful for the strengths you have given to this church because they have been obedient to your word. We exalt you. We lift you up. We embrace the word of God. We have relationships that honor you. And yet, Father, we have needs. You know them perfectly. The need to share our faith outwardly with others, to befriend others, to be more intentional in our relationships not just a Sunday go-to-meeting crowd. Father, you know all these things. None of these things are secret or hidden from you. And Father, as we move forward in our transition time, again, we wait upon you. This, this church did not hire a fantastic interim pastor that would change everything around. And I can't by whatever powerful words or messages change the heart, you, Holy Spirit, change our hearts. And you, Holy Spirit, in your time, have a time and a ministry for this, for this church, for this body of believers, and for the pastor who will come to shepherd us. And I thank you for that. May we be patient, trusting, Encouraging each other. In Christ's name I pray.